Good morning, church family. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to our text. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll be examining verse 1 through 13. I know that that's a, a larger portion of Scripture, but given that I have these slots of time, I don't want to break this down too much to where we get lost in translation. I think the best approach is, as I'm able to come in and fill in for Steve, to be able to get through larger portions so we can understand the book as a whole better as we work our way through it. Well, the title of my message is A Gospel Mystery. A Gospel Mystery. And and we're going to see this mystery language used in the text. You know, I, I think mysteries are fun. I don't know about you guys, but mysteries always interest me. There's all different kinds of books on mysteries. There's unsolved mysteries, TV shows about mysteries. And I remember as a kid watching a a show growing up. It was a cartoon. I won't tell you what it is. See if you can figure it out. There's a a talking dog and a strange hippie that always seems to be hungry. (laughs) But I remember in these shows, there's, there's always a twist, right? There's this big mystery, and it's solved, but there's always a twist at the end, it seems like, especially with that show. There would always be that creepy guy who would be giving the grin as the gang would walk by, and you'd always assume it's that that creepy janitor in the hall. But at the end, the mask comes off, and there's an unveiling, and it turns out it's someone of prominence, someone you would have least expected, someone like the mayor. And then they always say... I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for these meddling kids. But there's always a twist. And as I was reading Ephesians and looking at chapter 3, verse 6, specifically the pinnacle point, this mystery that Gentiles are fellow heirs, I saw a mask coming off and a revealing that is somewhat unexpected. And it has to do with what the gospel really is. And I'll be so bold as to say that the gospel is not the gospel without salvation to the Gentiles. And that's the twist in this mystery. And you're going to say, well, isn't the gospel specifically that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace, that God sent his son into the world to die on the cross for our sins, that if we would put our trust in him and believe in him, that we would be saved. Isn't that the gospel? Yes, that's the gospel. But the key thing is that we would be saved. All of us, not just the Jews. Therefore, the gospel isn't really the gospel unless it's inclusive because it wouldn't be good news for us. And this is the mystery that Paul reveals in the sixth verse. Let's read through Ephesians chapter 3 together, verse 1 to 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed 
to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is your glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, a man of the gospel. We thank you for the revelation that he has given us, that we are fellow heirs and members of the household of God. We thank you that your grace extended beyond that of just the Jewish people, Lord, the people that you set aside, that you've extended grace to all people of all places, regardless of who they are, that if they would just look to you in faith, they would be saved. We thank you for this glorious mystery and the revelation thereof. I pray, Lord, that you would be among us today to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand, even as there's a twist in the text, which we'll see here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, naturally, when we look at a text like this, we're going to take it for what it says, right? This text is about uh, a gospel mystery, the mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. But I don't want to get hung up on that point because I believe that us sitting here in this room know that. If we didn't know that Gentiles were allowed to partake of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. If we thought the Gentiles had no hope, but we have at least the baseline understanding that God has extended grace to all people. He commands people to repent, and therefore we sit in this room eager to hear the sermon. So applicationally, although that's what the text is about, I want us to focus on another aspect of the text, something we can pull out of here. And then you can skip right over if you don't really focus on it, but it's the passion of the Apostle Paul for the gospel. As we work through the text, we're going to see his argument of the gospel mystery and the revelation of it. But I want you to hear the excitement in Paul's tone. I want you to see the the eagerness for the gospel proclamation. I want you to see the fiery passion of this apostle as he breaks down the glorious mystery of this gospel. And I want that to be our application because I want it to touch our hearts as a congregation this morning. Let's start off looking at verse 1. For this reason. Now Paul is saying, for this reason, having said all these things in chapter 1 and chapter 2, having said all of this, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Think about 
everything that happened in Paul's life up to this point. It's approximately 62 AD. He's in prison in Rome. And in a handful of years, he is going to be giving his head to the sword. He's going to die for the faith. He's going to finish the race according to the rules. Up to this point, his radical conversion, immediately preaching Jesus Christ in the synagogues, they seek to kill him. Escaping in baskets, trouble at sea, trouble on land, robbers, sleepless nights, hungry, naked, without, shipwrecked, floggings, beatings, stonings, mockings, people turning their back on him, people not standing with him, people failing him. All of this pain, all of these things, and yet he's going to count it as joy to be a prisoner for Christ Jesus, as we're going to see in this text, on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul is sent to the Gentiles. God sovereignly elected Paul not to go to the Jews, which would have seemed like a more fitting role for Paul, but no, he sent him to the Gentiles, to the Ephesians. Really, with what we all glean from Paul's writings to us. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Listen to Paul's heart. This whole thing is he's building up this gospel message, talking about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, spiritual blessings, the love of God. He says, I'm here, and I'm here for you. That's the love and the passion of the Apostle Paul. And I'm sorry that I might seem a little excited this morning, but when I read this text, this this here specifically, it gets me excited. Just thinking about this man and everything he faced in prison for the Gentiles. Because he's a proclaimer of the gospel. He's saying, and assuming you've heard of me. Assuming you've heard about what God has done in me. How from the moment he's saved, he goes and he begins preaching Christ. And he goes from town to town despite persecutions. Faithfully preaching the word of God. A gospel proclaimer. Going far and wide. Irregardless of his own health. His own wealth. His own well-being. The grace was given to me for you and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Paul was divinely elected and selected by God to go to us. And I want you to think about that for a minute because in my mind, Paul is the greatest of all the apostles. And I'm not negating the work of the other apostles. I'm just, I'm just going to build Paul up for a moment, even though he would bring himself down. Here's a man who sat under the feet of Gamaliel. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews. That's how we know that he wrote the book of Hebrews. That was a joke. I was hoping someone would laugh. I don't want you thinking that. He didn't write the, well, we don't know whether or not he wrote the book of Hebrews. He was Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day. He was a Pharisee, as to the law, blameless. This is a man who understood the Old Testament like nobody else. Possibly a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a very prominent figure, even at a young age, persecuting the church. He's on the road to Damascus. He's he's getting ready to persecute the church. And a light shones down from heaven, knocks him off of his horse. Who are you, Lord? 
Why are you persecuting me? There's this, just this radical, instant, sovereign transformation in the Apostle Paul. Fast forward a little bit. Ananias is coming and giving him a visit. He lays hands on him. He recovers his sight. And immediately he goes out and begins, begins preaching Christ in the synagogues. God is using this man mightily. Then, he's doing this with whatever knowledge he has. But then God like sovereignly takes him and gives him this gospel supernaturally. The mystery was made known by revelation. It wasn't made known by the teachings of other apostles. Jesus Christ himself went after Paul, saved Paul, and taught Paul. Gave him the gospel. Galatians says he didn't immediately go to the disciples. He went away into Arabia. Where he was taught by God the fullness of the gospel. And then he goes and he spreads a wildfire. He goes far and wide, because this mystery was everything to him. The mystery of this gospel that Gentiles are going to be saved as well. Paul was sent to the Gentiles. This mystery that Gentiles would be saved as well put a fire in Paul's bosom that couldn't be quenched. I think that God took the best and gave it to the Gentiles. And I think just in reading this, this idea that Gentiles are included, that's an amazing thing. Like, we're excited, like, yeah, we weren't let out. Or left out, rather. But it's so much more than that. God gave us, I think, the best man for the job. Elected and taught by Christ himself. Like I said, this man, in, in the natural, would think this guy's better suited for the Jews. Like, he's, it, Peter, come on, he was a fisherman. James and John, they're crazy guys who wanted to call fire down from heaven. Judas betrayed him. Like, what's with these other guys? And then, <laughs> but Paul, a man who would have seemingly been, been best suited for the Jews, God raises him up and makes him a mighty gospel proclaimer to the Gentiles. And so as he's writing to these Ephesians, as he's building his case, that I was sent here for you. When you read this, when you, when you read my writing, when you see it, when you perceive it, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. You can tell that God really has divinely given me this word that I might bring it to you to give you hope. That God has really and truly included you. You see Paul's knowledge and Paul's wisdom from even chapter 1, moving through the text. He's elected as an apostle by the will of God. They're partakers of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. God's sovereignty in electing them. God's redeeming power through the blood of Christ. Them being partakers of the Holy Spirit. Salvation by grace through faith. Oneness in Christ as we push on through. Unity in Christ. Unity in doctrine. You can see and perceive Paul has insight into the mystery of Christ, which we see in verse 6. All this leading up with his knowledge of the Old Testament, knowing the promises of the prophets and the prophecies, and understanding the fulfillment of what Christ did when he came, it's clear in his writings that he understands the mystery, that he has insight. And Paul says, this insight was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. 
as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. He's, he's building it up because at this point, man, where's Paul getting with this? This mystery was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. In other words, the Old Testament law and prophets, right? So you have Moses. After me will come a prophet. God will raise up a prophet like me after, after me, and it shall come to pass that everyone who listens to him will live. Whoever doesn't listen to him will die. He didn't fully understand what he was saying or who he was talking about. David, and even in some of the Messianic Psalms, and we we see it pointing to Christ, not even fully understanding what he's talking about. Seeing in part, prophesying in part, as Paul would put it in 1 Corinthians. Isaiah, thinking about Isaiah 53 and the, the promise of this Messiah to come. He didn't fully understand. And he's leading up to this point where the mask is going to start coming off. I can only imagine if these Jews from the Old Testament could look forward into the span of time and hear the gospel is getting ready to be made clear. And the mask is getting ready to come off and it's peeling back and they look and they see it for what it is and there's the twist. No way, it's not just us. It's so much more vast, it's so much more deep, it's so much more more wide. This gospel, this redemption, this work of God and in the inclusion, the inclusion of all people from all places. This is the power of the gospel of God. This is why Paul is so passionate, because he got this revelation. Imagine a man who sits down and he's studying the word of God, and he's thinking he's an elite, and, and there's this way that we got to live, and, and if we do it right, we get to be with God. And then he gets the gospel, and his mind is blown. He has the revelation of the Old Testament, and now he has the new revelation of the new covenant and he sees it for what it is and he says man i'm saved by grace and this is also available to the gentiles where they can be saved by grace and he's seeing something that wasn't revealed before it came at an appointed time paul got it supernaturally divinely but all of them got it by the spirit the text says this was revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit And we know it was by the Spirit, because like I said, we saw the disciples before Pentecost. Right? We see Paul in in Acts chapter 9, he receives it by the Spirit. But before the Holy Spirit comes, even to to the apostles, they're walking around acting goofy. They're arguing about who's the greatest on the road, right? Paul again, or Peter again, he's sinking in the water. Denial, betrayal. Fighting, bickering. Even to the point where some of them didn't necessarily understand or fully believe in all the things that Christ said. At the time he's arrested, they scatter. But then something happens in in Acts chapter 2 in which something is revealed by the Spirit and they're radically transformed. Something completely different. So now we're talking about a mystery, a mystery that was revealed, revealed to the Apostle Paul in a different way, divinely, revealed also to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And this mystery, here it is, we know it, that's why we're here, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I feel like Paul was welling up to that point. From the very beginning of this book, I feel like he was a giddy kid, like, oh, I can't wait to get to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. 
I can't wait to write that down. It's building up to that point because you're included, guys. This was so amazing to Paul. Is it amazing to you? I mean, think about that. Is it as amazing to you as it was for Paul to express it to the Gentiles? Does it mean as much to you sitting there as it meant to Paul to tell them of this glorious truth? This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. This is in contrast to Ephesians 2.12, when they were separated, alienated, and strangers. Members of the same body. Again, a contrast to being a stranger, having no hope without God. Members of the same body. That's multifaceted. We're members of the church, members of, of Christ, but members of the same body, literally, where we are the body of Christ. Whereas when one member suffers, all suffer. What an amazing thing to think that there's no distinction, there's no separation. We all actually make up, and if you want to use the picture of it, one human body, if that, if that will paint the picture in your mind. Like, we can't separate from one another. We're all one, one unit, one thing. This is huge, and the Apostle Paul is so excited about this. And then he goes on to say, not just this, but you're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. Whereas before they were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. You're partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus. Us Gentiles, the Ephesians, us here. Sorry if there's any Jews sitting out there. You're in too. You were in first. But through the gospel, this is all through the gospel. This is all because God the Father sent God the Son to the earth to live a perfect, sinless life, to be hung on a cross, to die, to bleed, to be put in the tomb, to raise on the third day for the forgiveness of our trespasses. That if we would look to him, look to the cross, and have faith in him and repent of our sin, we will be saved. All these things are available to the Gentiles and the Jews through the gospel. And of this gospel, Paul says, I was made a minister. I love that. Before Paul, when he was a Jew, was making himself a minister of Judaism. He took all the right avenues. He sat under the right people. He said the right things. He wore the right garments. But there was one thing he couldn't do. He couldn't make himself a gospel minister. God had to do it. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. And he was made a minister for you. And for me. And for the Ephesians. And for everyone else he ministered to. He was made a minister according to his great gifting, according to his anointing, according to his being Hebrew Hebrews. Oh, wait, no, it doesn't say that. According to the gift of God's grace. That's right. According to the gift of God's grace. And that grace was for Paul and God saving him and revealing his truth to him. But according to God's grace towards us as well. God made him a gospel preacher according to his gift of grace and it was given to him by the working of God's power. This was a divine thing. I mean, I just can't, I can't wrap my head around it. Here's this man, the best man for the job. God takes him and says, okay, Gentiles, I'm sending you my main guy. He was made a, a gospel minister for you. Paul, so humble. So excited, yet so humble. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. 
To me, although I'm nothing, Paul, Paul talks like this a lot. Sometimes he gets crazy and he says stuff like, I am the Hebrew of Hebrews and I'm a better apostle and, and things like that. But, but Paul understands that that's foolishness. For the most part, when we read Paul's text, we, we could see the humility in this man, the brokenness in this man, the love and desire for gospel preaching. This is his life. It's what he was born for. It's what he lived for. And it's what he died for. Though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach. This grace was given to the Apostle Paul to preach, to preach the word. To the Gentiles, it says. This grace was given to the Apostle Paul, though he's nothing in his eyes, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He was saved, he was elected, he was ordained to go out and to preach to the Gentiles. And he's affirming this, even in this language. It's like, listen guys, it's, it's, it's not just that God has, has given this to you. I want you to understand like what all he's given to you. Like, I'm after you. I care about you. I want you. God wants you. He sent me to you, despite what I face. I'm after you. And God has sent me to do it. And he wants me to proclaim to you the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. This is his, this is his will for all that he ministers to. But this is his prayer for the Ephesians. We could see this. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. We start at verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? He moves on. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us to believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Not only was it Paul's will to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, but his prayer was that they would even begin to comprehend and fathom it. Comprehend and fathom the fact that this almighty God who elected the Jews, made salvation possible to the Gentiles. That his desire is that all people, all places would repent. He commands all people, all places to repent and to believe the gospel. And he puts his hand on some to believe. And he gives them the gift of faith, the unsearchable riches of the gospel, what Christ has done for sinners. Granting them access into his eternal kingdom. Making them members of a church body where we function with one another, love one another, serve one another. Where he will wipe away one day every tear, give us a glorified body, let us be in his presence eternally. Worshiping him, loving him, adoring him. And instead of suffering the punishment for our sin, eternal hellfire. I think we forget, and I'm speaking to myself, I think we forget sometimes 
just how great the unsearchable riches of Christ really are. But I want to point something out before we move out of verse 8. He says, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach. Here's a little application nugget for us. Right? I said I wanted to do that just looking at the Apostle Paul. His zeal, his passion, his desire to share the gospel. I think as a church it would be very beneficial to have the heart and mind of the Apostle Paul. Now obviously we weren't somehow supernaturally given the gospel and sent out to Gentiles in the far corners of the earth like the Apostle Paul. But looking at this verse, it can be an inspiration to us. And maybe we ought to just speak even as he speaks in our lives to me. And I can say this for myself, though I'm the very least of all the saints. And I believe that. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach. And I'm not just talking here at the pulpit. I'm not talking about me. My idea is that we would all have this mind with our friends and our family and our co-workers. Though we are the very least of all the saints, this grace, this gift of salvation, this reconciliation, this union with Christ was given to preach the gospel of our salvation to the people in our lives. That's what it was given for. It wasn't given to, to have a lamp and to put it under a basket. Be inspired by the Apostle Paul. He is so excited. I trust you see it. He is so excited in this passage about this, about the gospel. He's welling up inside. And would we do the same? Would we say, to me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace, this gift of God's salvation and his work in my life was given to preach? To the Gentiles, Jews, to everyone, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul says that's his job. That's his desire. That's his will. That's what he lives for. That's what he desires. And he moves forward and he says, but also to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery. Hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now we have this mystery of the gospel. We also have a plan for this mystery. To bring the light, that is to reveal what is hidden, what's now in darkness or veiled, to unveil for everyone what is the plan of the mystery. Now God had a plan. He had a plan all along in eternity past. That plan was to bring ultimate glory to his name. Before he ever created the heavens and created the earth and the fullness thereof and the heavenly hosts, he had an idea of a plan that would give him ultimate glory. Some people think that God didn't know that there would be a fall and that all these things would happen. God knew everything, and that's why Jesus Christ is called the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. God knew. It was part of his plan of redemption, his plan of bringing glory to his name. This is the plan for the mystery. God seen and understood all things, and it pleased him to create. And he understood that there would be a fall. And he understood that there would be a, a man chosen, and a law given, and a people that couldn't keep it, and an in people, and an out people. And then at the final culmination of all things, inclusive of all people who would believe in him through the gospel. And 
And when believers, when, when new babies are born in Christ, and they come to the faith, and ultimately the church is built up, and they look to God the Father, they glorify the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, this is when God will get his eternal glory. We will glorify him eternally in heaven. And this is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. In order that, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I think this is interesting. All this is done so that through us, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, this, this, this mighty, multifaceted wisdom, infinite wisdom of God, might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? In reading this, that was a little surprised. They're like, why not the rulers and authorities on earth or the unbelievers? Undoubtedly, that's there. Every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But furthermore, to the heavenly hosts. Angels, demons, all will see, all will know the manifold wisdom of God, His glory, His plan of reconciliation, His plan of salvation. It will be clear. It will be revealed. And he says this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was an eternal plan. An eternal idea. This is what God wanted all along. This is what his plan was all along. To reconcile all people to himself through faith. To bring glory to his name. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The final thought here in verse 13 goes back to verse 1. I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, but don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. This is Paul's main concern. Paul's only real concern. It's not with himself. It's the advancement and the proclamation of the gospel to all people in all places. That as many would believe will come to the faith and glorify God. He cares not about the calamities he's faced, not the shipwrecks, not the beatings. Not the nakedness, not the cold, not the hunger, not the slander of his name, not the adversaries that oppose him everywhere. Every work that he d does, they try and fight it. He's worried about the advancement of the gospel. Don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. This is for your glory and ultimately the glory of God the Father. So when looking at this passage this morning, just thinking about it. I think as a congregation, it can really challenge us. We know and we are very grateful for the fact that we as Gentiles are included in the family of God and the house of God, right? I mean, we're glad that we get to come here and have bold confidence that when we pass from this life into eternity, we will spend it with Jesus Christ through faith. God hasn't left us out. But because of that reality, applicationally, what do we do with it? 
And I think here Paul gives us a model to live by. To live for it, if necessary, to be beaten for it, to die for it, to constantly preach it, to constantly love it. I know this sounds radical, and I'm preaching to myself, listen, I'm not standing here like, yeah, you know, I read this the other day, and I got it, and now I'm transformed, and I'm that guy. No, not at all. Listen, this is going to take work. Matter of fact, when I, when I first got saved, I hit the ground running. I was full of zeal and passion and fire, and I had an idea of how many souls I wanted to save. And it, it was all about me and what I was going to do, and I was going to be awesome and a hero for Jesus. And, and all of a sudden, reality set in, and I got hit in the face, and then I got discouraged. And then I even doubted things, and, and then I, I wasn't like Paul is here. And then I started reading this, and I realized, whoa, the Apostle Paul had it way worse. This dude went through everything, and so many people opposed him. He suffered, and now he's, in, he, he's, he's, he's a prisoner. He has freedoms, but he's a prisoner. And he's getting ready to die, and he knows it. But he doesn't care, because he says the gospel is more important. The gospel is the main thing, not my life. I count everything else as lost for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, and because of that, I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach. Because I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. This grace was given to preach. Church family, I, I pray that we would see this together this morning, that we would be preachers, even in our own realm. I'm not talking about, you know, preaching in a negative sense, like preaching at someone, but proclaiming the gospel unashamedly, excitedly, confidently with those around us. Now let us pray. Father, your word is like a diamond. There's so many facets, so many ways to look at it. We thank you for both realities this morning. The fact that you have included us, that you haven't left us out. You haven't left us as orphans, so to speak, but you've brought us into your family. You've included the Gentiles. You have given us grace and mercy and love and all the promises of Christ. But also, Lord, the zeal of this apostle that you've sent to the Gentiles. His life, his dedication, his passion, his zeal, his self-abandonment is something that we all can glean from, something we all can learn from. And I would pray, Lord, this morning that it would be a wake-up call to all of us. That we would be excited and have a fresh passion come over us for the gospel. Just a refreshed mind, a new way of thinking, even as we look at Ephesians chapter 3. Lord, that as Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What a true statement. May we imitate Paul as he imitated Christ. And be gospel proclaimers for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.